Welcome to the Talent Talks podcast from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. I'm Alan Caesar. My guest today is Jenna Welton. She's a Senior Vice President and Financial Crimes Director for Wells Fargo Bank. She manages a team that investigates everything from fraud to terrorist financing. She's a 2006 graduate from Embry-Riddle's Global Security and Intelligence Studies program and has a Master's on International Policy and Terrorism from the Monterey Institute of International Studies. Jenna, thanks so much for joining me today. Yes, thanks so much for having me. So uh, I know this is super uh, kind of rude to give away your age right away, but based on your graduation year, you would have been in high school during 9-11. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, so is that part of what motivated you to go into global security and intelligence? Um, no, actually, uh, which is probably surprising. I actually wanted to be an astronaut. Uh, when I was in high school. Okay. You know, when I went to my school counselor, I wanted to be an astronaut. So they pulled up Embry Riddles, being the number one aeronautical university, with graduates becoming astronauts. So that's how I learned about Embry Riddle. So I uh, applied, got accepted into the aeronautical engineering school. And the very first day, the intro, uh, I realized that I was not an engineer that it just was not for me. I had this horrible gut feeling. Um, everything was paid for, right? I moved into my dorm. What was I gonna do? Uh, what else did Embry-Riddle offer that maybe I could jump into? And literally was able to uh, move into another room where they were talking about the Global Security and Intelligence Studies Program. That was the very first time I'd ever heard of it. I was like, that sounds cool, right? The instructors were uh, former CIA operatives. It just sounded like it was something that I was interested in. I liked people, I'm a people person. So I literally changed my degree the second day that I was at Embry-Riddle. And it was the best decision I could have ever made. And without wanting to be an astronaut, you know, and going to Embry-Riddle in the first place, it would not have led me down the path I'm I'm at today. That's super cool. So I think the uh, GSIS program uh, at Embry-Riddle was pretty new at the time when you were getting involved, but you said, you know, it sounded like you were pretty impressed already with the professors that were there. So did it, did it sort of feel like, uh, did you feel the newness when you're coming into it? I did feel the newness uh, for sure. It was just getting uh, started up. And, you know, back then too, I was usually only one, the only female in class or one of maybe two or three females in all the classes. So there weren't a lot of um, other females in those classes at the time when I started. I know over the years, there was a lot of recruitment done by Embry-Riddle to try to bring in more diversity and more women's interest into, into that field, which is really nice to see over the years as, as well. Uh, but it did seem, you know, kind of new still. And we were trying different things, bringing in new professors and new topics. I actually had lots of different minors, uh, which was really fun. Um, you know, I think I minored in environmental studies um, and economics and language and culture. And, you know, Embry-Riddle did offer other classes in addition to the GSIS classes, um, which I really enjoyed as well. And a lot of those has helped shape, uh, you know, what I do today as well. You know, one in particular 
that I can remember was a class on different religions. And that's just so important, especially nowadays with diversity and inclusion and really understanding different perspectives. And I really enjoyed that class. And part of the class was actually going out into the local community. I went to Prescott, so local Prescott community, and going to different religious uh, establishments. So that was a way to kind of get out and learn about the community too, uh, where I was going to school. That's really great. That's uh, and it's great that you're able to get that kind of well-rounded kind of approach to the to the world and to your education. The world has changed a lot since uh, you know in the last you know 15, 20 years, both in terms of like uh, terrorist activity and its impact in the U.S. and cybersecurity and technology. Um, did you have a sense at at the time that you were studying it that all these related things were changing very rapidly or that would change very rapidly soon after you graduated? Uh, I, I think so. Once I started really getting into terrorism studies, uh, you know, it started, these terrorism studies are usually, you know, deep rooted historical problems that don't go away overnight. So I knew that getting into the field was important and that we were going to need a lot of resources um, to address it going forward. It wasn't going to be a quick overnight fix. This is going to take decades to really tackle. And over the years, we've seen how that has actually morphed quite a bit. And it's even more challenging now these days. Um, not just, you know, when you think of terrorism, most people think of 9-11 right away, right? And, and the Islamic terrorism. But there's so much more out there now and all these lone wolves. And, you know, what's currently happening today with all of the extremist groups too is another huge threat that kind of falls in the same realm of terrorism. So it is definitely morphing and changing um, and it keeps me very, very busy. Yeah. So uh, you work in financial crimes. How much do you deal with, uh, you know, international terrorism, these sort of international act actors? Quite a bit, actually. Um, you know, and, and I, I do work in financial crimes and going to Embry-Riddle, I never thought in a million years that I would end up working at a bank, <laughs> right? Uh, a lot of the, the schooling is, you know, it's going to end up in what we call the three-letter agencies, right? Something DC related, government related, you know, CIA, DIA, any of those alphabet soup agencies. And uh, so moving into the the, the, pri the private sector was definitely nothing that was on my radar. I had never thought about it. I didn't even know what I would do at a bank. I didn't know that banks had programs that dealt with terrorist financing. So when I was getting ready to graduate, one of my professors at the Monterey Institute of International Studies actually told me about the programs at banks and I applied and it was just right timing and they hired me for their terrorism subject matter expert. So I could come in and help with terrorist financing. Um, from there, it morphed into other financial crimes, money laundering, uh, fraud, right? Everything else financial crimes related, but I still handle and touch every terrorist financing case uh, that comes across you know, my desk at the bank. And we work very closely with the FBI we kind of are like the front line, you know, site of what's going on, right? We see the transactions happening. And when we see something unusual or, you know, hits certain red flags, or we think somebody's getting radicalized and then we see them mobilizing, um, we can reach out to the FBI 
you know, and kind of tip them off, right? We're basically helping the FBI identify these folks uh, before any attack happens. In a way, you know, we're kind of, I still feel like I'm giving back to society, even though I work in a private, uh, in the private sector versus the government sector. Um, we really are great partners with the three letter agencies out there. It's pretty interesting work. It's very fast paced, and hopefully, we're uh, helping to stop. Um, potential attackers out there. Is it is, is Wells Fargo working a lot? So it's it's a U.S. based bank, but you must be dealing then with a lot of international accounts. Is that or are you working primarily in domestic terrorists? So it's it's both. So uh, you know, Wells Fargo, like a lot of the other large financial institutions, bank other banks. So we will bank foreign banks. Because, right, when you think about economics and how that works, you have to have the ability to send money internationally. And the way you do that is by having banks have relationships with each other. And it's called correspondent banking. And so we will help facilitate a wire from, say, a bank in China to a bank in the Ukraine. And so we see that pass through international activity. So we see a lot of not just domestic with our actual, you know, consumer and business customers here in the U.S., but we also see the flow of funds between non-customers that bank at our bank customers. That's that's really cool. Um, and that's, that's important uh, because I was curious if you, you know, how much of this... It, obviously, so you've got red flags there. Uh, F, FBI and other three-letter agencies, NSA, CIA, must come to you as well to investigate individuals, or is that is that that also how it works? You guys get it both yeah, ways. Yeah, so it's it's all under it falls under uh, the Bank Secrecy Act um, and the the USA Patriot Act. So after 9/11, the USA Patriot Act was really strengthened. Um, the cooperation, coordination between financial institutions and the government. So every financial institution is required by law to identify suspicious activity occurring within our banks and to report that to the government. And so part of that, right, is um, when we internally identify suspicious activity, whether that is somebody acting weird in a branch um, or they said something weird, whether we have internal algorithms that are constantly monitoring transactions and we see anomalies, we'll look at that, or we get tips from law enforcement. And so then we'll look at those. Do you end up seeing these through to the end? Or are you uh, like, you know, this, you, you saw this transaction come through from China and so facilitated the transaction from China to the Ukraine. Do you end up finding out what that ultimately was when you report that info to, say, the FBI? Or um, Typically, no. Uh, sometimes if we have a good banking relationship uh, with the law enforcement agent or the information we provided was pivotal in their investigation and it did result in some sort of forfeiture or charges, then they'll come back to us and say, you know, hey, great job. Thank you for helping. But most of the time we don't know. And every report that we file with the government is highly confidential. So that's why you never see in press releases any mention of any sort of help from financial institutions. 
because the law enforcement can't say that a bank had filed a report with them about the suspicious activity. So it, everything that we do is, is highly confidential in that way. And that's why a lot of it never makes it to the news about how much help financial institutions are actually doing, you know, in helping the government stop these bad guys. With you and your area of expertise, when you see these transactions, like, do you have a, an internal, like, in your head, like, oh, I think this is such and such organization trying to fund such and such organization? Do you have, like, does that tip off things in your head? Uh, yeah, and I think a lot of it is because I've been doing it for a long time now. Um, and, you know, to be, I mean, I'm, I'm an investigator, right? You have to have that intuition. The best folks for this job are the people that, you know, have that intuition and want to dig and ask questions. Um, and so, you know, sometimes I can look an account and say, oh, yeah, this looks like, you know, drug trafficking for, you know, the new generation cartel um, or, or whatever it is. Right. I've just seen so many of these that, um, you know, I can I can pick up on it pretty quickly. So you've uh you've been at Wells Fargo since 2008. How long were you, like, how did you make a rise to, to senior vice president in, you know, 12 years? Um, you know, a lot of it is just being in the right place at the right time. And really I worked, I worked a lot. Um, somebody, and I can't remember who it was that told me, but someone gave me advice uh, when I was in college that I should work as hard as I can, um, as young as I can, uh, to get ahead quicker. So when you're first starting out in your career, you usually don't have kids and you don't have a husband, right? You don't have a lot of other things that you have to do. So you can put a lot of yourself into your job. And that's what I did. I poured in so much of myself into those first couple years to really prove myself, to learn as much as I possibly could and when opportunities came up, I jumped at them. And so that's kind of how I moved up. I started out as an investigator doing the actual investigations. Um, and then from there, I just, you know, moved up to a manager and then a senior manager and just kept kind of growing and growing. And now I manage a team called Special Investigations. And so my team really handles all the terrorist financing cases and we handle the highest risk or most complex of the money laundering uh, cases for Wells Fargo. So there's hundreds and hundreds of investigators that do this work, um, but the biggest cases and the most complex cases will come to my team and we handle it. Oh, okay. That's it's, that's really specialized and awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, you know, every day I come to work and I have no idea what I'm going to be doing that day, right? Things pop up um, all the time. So it keeps me on my toes. Uh, I, I was kind of wondering if like, you know, what, what type of investigation, like for you personally, was like the most exciting? Do you get all excited? Uh, you know, uh, does money laundering really get you going? Or are you about like all about insurance fraud? Like, do you have a particular? You know, yeah, you know, I, I do have to say the cases that I get the most out of are the ones involving human trafficking or child exploitation. Those are horrible, horrible crimes where there is an actual victim. And if I can do anything to help law enforcement stop that, those are the cases I like to work. I feel like I'm making a real difference 
I mean, it's just such a horrible crime. And my team spends a lot of time trying to identify human trafficking, trying to um, put training out there to other employees within the bank on how to identify potential human trafficking. So we do a lot of work around that um, and trying to prevent it and stop it and work with law enforcement on that one. Is it easier to hide money these days because of like, are, are a lot of people moving to virtual currencies, Bitcoin, Dogecoin, et cetera? You know, a lot of folks were really worried in the beginning with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency that everyone's going to kind of move to those platforms and, and it would all be anonymous. But we don't see um, as much of that as we anticipated. So it's still out there. Um, if you're a criminal, you're using cryptocurrency. There's not a lot of legitimate business activity occurring with cryptocurrency. Most of, you know, the normal everyday person, they'll get involved by like investing, right? They'll invest in Bitcoin because they want to make some money, but they're not using Bitcoin to buy their groceries or get their gas, you know, and, and that sort of stuff. You know, if you are using cryptocurrency, you're kind of sticking out like a red flag. So we really don't see that. Wells Fargo, we actually don't bank cryptocurrency exchangers, so we don't really see a lot of that. Uh, what what is kind of becoming more of an issue to track the flow of funds is the use of all of these fintech applications. You know, things like Cash App, um, Apple Pay, Google Pay. Right. There's all these other wallets and you know ways that you can move money that's much harder for us to detect. So we don't know a lot of times who the beneficiary of the funds are. And that makes it really difficult, not only for us to know whether or not it's you know unusual or suspicious, but it's also difficult for law enforcement to know where the money's going and what the money is being used for. So it's definitely a challenge. So you have um, certificates on uh, evaluating insider threats. I imagine that means you have to evaluate, you know, Wells Fargo employees as well as account holders. Is that part of it? That That's right. Yeah. So I got um, a certificate from Carnegie Mellon and, you know, it, it's always a big threat for any corporation or any financial institution that you have insider threats. Whether it is, you know, an investigator either intentionally or unintentionally uh, talking about one of those reports to the government that are highly confidential, right? I, I work with this highly confidential information every single day. I could be a slip of my mouth and that is a threat that's insider threat. Um, also with financial institutions, I mean, we have people handling money all day long. Right. And so there's a lot of theft. There's a lot of misappropriation of funds. You can have individuals pulling up accounts for customers that they shouldn't be looking at. Right. And so financial institutions have to have these robust programs to identify employees who may be maliciously, um, you know, doing something against against the company, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. Yeah. Well, you must also like your your department must also be a, a, a target for cybercrime. You must have cybersecurity on your mind all the time. Yeah, we have well, we have a separate team that is a cybersecurity team, and that is all they do. And they work with a lot of government uh, 
organizations. Um, they share information with other financial institutions. Cybersecurity is a huge threat to financial institutions, right? Look at all of the personal customer information that we have. There's a hack or a breach. That is a huge risk for financial institutions. So we have pretty robust cybersecurity team set up for that. We see, uh, we work with the cybersecurity teams. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, it might be, for example, a a BEC fraud, which is business email compromise fraud, which is pretty big right now, right? Where somebody will send you, if you're a CEO of a company, then I might take your email address and change one little thing about the email address and then send it to your secretary to say, why are this much money to this bank account? And then they do. So we we do a lot of work with cybersecurity on, on that type of fraud. Um, and we do a lot of training with our customers, too. We actually provide training so that they're aware of what types of scams are out there so that they're not targeted. So we do try to protect not just our financial institution, but we try to protect our customers as well. Yeah, I've definitely seen that kind of thing as well with somebody, you know, uh, emailed me and several others in our department, like, you know, pretending to be our vice president, hey, can you buy some Amazon gift cards and send me pictures of them? I'm like, no, right. I'm not going to do that. This kind of work, uh, it, does it affect your outlook on the world? Does it make you a, a, like kind of a cynical person when you're hanging out with friends and stuff? <laughs> That's such a good question. I get that a lot. Um, I, you know, I don't think so. Um, because the way I look at it, I'm trying to help right? Someone has to do the dirty work. And, um, you know, I used to joke that when I was, so when I was in my master's degree in terrorism studies, uh, my birthday was right around finals. And so I would spend my birthday writing a research paper on terrorism or, you know, torture or whatever it was that I was learning weapons of mass destruction. (laughs) And that's how I would spend my birthdays every year. (laughs) But you just kind of have to, you know, separate it. And at Wells Fargo, my team also hosts interns. So we're really big on trying to get early talent. Uh, You know, when I was in high school, I had no idea that this field existed. And so how can we reach out to the younger generations and even let them know that this this exists, that this is a potential career path. And so we've had some college interns work for us and some of them have that reaction, right? Where they're like, you know, this is this is just horrible and everyone is bad and <laughs> and it just wasn't for them. Um, you know, so it does take the right type of person to be able to kind of almost like compartmentalize, right? This is bad stuff happening. These are human traffickers or these are terrorists, but let's do everything that we can to try to stop them and protect the people that we love and the general population and and our economy and everything else. Yeah. Well, and it's also really great that you are able to get into that field without going through like the military. Um, Because that's kind of what I figured going in, uh, you know, when I heard what you were doing, I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that, you know, you don't have a military background, but you came strictly through academia to come work in cybercrime or, you know, financial crime and international crime. 
Yeah, we, we do have a lot of folks from law enforcement, former law enforcement um, employees, either local PD or, um, you know, the federal agencies, former FBI, um, DEA, Drug Administrator, you know, so we have a lot of folks that come from that background. When we really started building out the program back in 2008, we purposely tried to hire folks from all different backgrounds. So we wanted, you know, we wanted law enforcement, we wanted lawyers, we wanted people that own their own trucking business, right? Because the more diversity you have in a group, then when a customer pops up, we can say, hey, is this normal for this industry? Is this normal for, you know, this type of transaction? And so the more diverse your workforce is, then, you know, it, it's, it's just amazing what can come out of that. And it makes us stronger as a whole. Right. Yeah. Because then the, 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 the guy who'd been in the trucking company can say, no, that's normal. He's buying a fleet or no, that's not. That's some shady business. Right. Exactly. Yep. All right. Well, on that note, Jenna, we're going to take a short break and then we'll continue to the lightning round. Hey, Embry-Riddle alumni, did you know that you can endorse an incoming Embry-Riddle student and save them up to $4,000 on their tuition? Any student that you refer to Embry-Riddle prior to their enrollment can get a $1,000 per year grant through the Alumni Endorsement Grant Program. Embry-Riddle alumni like you can endorse as many incoming students as you want. Each one will receive the grant starting with their first semester. This program is available at no cost to you. Any student coming to one of our residential campuses is eligible. Visit alumni.erau.edu slash endorse for more information and to fill out the endorsement form. That's alumni.erau.edu slash endorse. All right, Jenna, now it's time for our lightning round. It's not necessarily fast. We just couldn't think of a better name. Um, I'm going to give you five questions and you're going to give me five answers. Are, are you ready? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Okay, so uh, you like traveling and photography, and I know we, there's not a whole lot of traveling we can do at the moment, but uh, if you could visit any place in the world, just you and your camera and, you know, maybe your family if you want, um, uh, where would you go? I would go back to Santorini, Greece. I got married in Santorini, Greece. I think it's the most beautiful place in the whole world, and I would go back in a heartbeat. Oh, that's excellent. That's really cool. Uh, if you could read only one book for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, I don't like rereading books. Is that weird? <laughs> oh, no, that's not weird at all. That's not weird at all. Okay. What's your favorite book you've ever read? Oh, gosh, I don't even have a favorite. I, I read a lot of books, um, but I only read them once because there's so much out there to read. Why would I ever read something again? <laughs> right, right. Right now okay. I'm reading parenting books, which is not that fun, but very helpful. Necessary. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I get you. I guess. Um, who's your, uh, who's your favorite cartoon character? Ooh, cartoon character. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So this could be from your childhood or that your kids are currently watching. Uh, um, you know, I like She-Ra because oh, she yeah. was strong and bold and uh, I loved her armor. So yeah, She-Ra for sure. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so picture for me in your mind uh, a grilled cheese sandwich, like the the most perfect one that you could ever have made uh, or, you know, that anyone could have ever made for you. Um, you're about to take a bite out of this thing. What is it? What's in it? What's the bread made out of? Give me give me everything. Well, I don't usually eat bread, 
So the, okay. <laughs> the bread would have to be toasted cheese. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I would probably put like bacon in it and tomatoes and avocado. Yeah, I think that that would do it. Okay. I've heard a lot of like, I'm lactose intolerant. I don't do cheese. I haven't heard, I don't think I've heard bread before. That's good. That's good. I like it. Yeah. 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 No bread. <laughs> um, all right. Last one. Uh, if you could live for a week as any person in history, who would it be? Oh, wow. That's, that's a big one. Um, you know, I don't know. You know, and, and this question comes up all the time where, you know, usually a little different where it's if you could have dinner with three people, who would they be? Mm-hmm. Um, and I always wanted to have dinner with like really evil people just to like oh. see what they were thinking. Right. Like I would have like Hitler, Manson and, you know, like just like horrible people, maybe Osama bin Laden at my table, just because I want to know what makes them tick and what makes them think. Um, and I think it would be super interesting. <laughs> That's super cool. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks very much, Jenna, for joining us for the uh, Talent Talks podcast. Yes, thank you so much for having me. (laughs) All right. Talent Talks is a production of the Embry-Riddle Office of Philanthropy and Alumni Engagement and the students at Wicked Radio. We're coming at you from my office at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Daytona Beach, Florida, and Jenna's home in the Bay Area of San Francisco. Uh, This episode was recorded by me and edited by Cindy Puckett. Edmund Odarte is our program manager. Bill Thompson is Executive Director of Alumni Engagement, and Tony Brown is Executive Director of Communications. If you'd like to share your thoughts about our show or suggest a guest to us, we'd love to hear from you. Visit alumni.erau.edu slash podcast and click the feedback link. I promise your message comes directly to me. Thanks for downloading us. We'll see you next time.